Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Music Marketing. This is a conversation on marketing for independent musicians. I'm Rich Hearn, music marketer and artist manager. Join me as I talk to a different guest every week about what's working and what isn't, and how to be productive and not just busy when marketing yourself and your music as an independent artist in 2020. My guest this week for our first ever episode is none other than writer, musician, programmer and entrepreneur Derek Sivers, who's perhaps best known for being founder and former president of CD Baby, which is the largest online distributor of independent music in the world. I've been a fan of Derek's work for a long time. He's a prolific and consistent source of inspiration for me and is such an honest and generous, thoughtful and open human being that I knew he would bring something uniquely inspiring to the table. He's also a great raconteur and storyteller and he certainly didn't disappoint during our conversation. So without further ado, here is episode one of the Indie Music Marketing Podcast with Derek Sivers. Yeah, so thank you so much, Derek, for for being here and being the first speaker on the Indie Music Marketing Podcast. It's a real <laughs> honour. I can't wait to hear what you've uh, what you've got to to tell us around around these topics. So, um, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to get straight in there and fire away. Question number one: It's something that I come up against a lot talking to different people in marketing in music, and very quickly the conversation turns to an artist's narrative and story. Um, so what do we mean by an artist's narrative and story in the music industry? Well, if you don't mind, let me turn that back on you. Um, can you think of any of your favorite artists that have a good story? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess every artist has a story, I suppose. Um, um, what, what I... What I tend to think when when I hear someone say that, I, do you know what? That's the question I ask. That's the question I ask of the people who say that. So very recently, I was speaking to a distribution um, a distribution company, and their kind of marketing department and the head of marketing started very quickly started talking about narrative, and I forgot to ask him actually. But um, yeah, good question. I suppose most most artists that I think have a story, it ends up being the lifetime of their career, everything from what started that, you know, what, what started them on the path that they're on. And, uh, yeah. Okay. But it, is that an entertaining story though? Like, do you think that story introduces people to their music or do you think that story is like reading the biography of someone you already love? That's, that's the same question I have, I guess, about what we mean by narrative and story, because I've had some artists who've gone very deep down the rabbit hole of perfecting the bio <laughs> and, and thinking, thinking that's what it means. When actually, you know, when actually I think, is the narrative and story what other people are saying about you and who is saying it? I knew some entrepreneurs that perfected their business card. <laughs> there, there are always things we can do to distract us from the things that people actually care about. There's the, the difficult emotional work, the stuff where you're really putting your your butt on the line where you're being vulnerable and putting your art out there. And then there's the stuff that you can do to distract yourself from that, such as saying, I need to make up a story. So I don't know. Okay. For one, I have to say, whenever somebody says, you need this, you need that, you need to do this. Whenever I hear that, I just instantly think 
that almost none of my favorite musicians do that. Whatever that thing is, like uh, even if people talk about the absolute crucial importance of playing live, about live shows are everything. And then I stop and I run through my favorite artists in my head. I think of, you know, I think of 10 of them. I think of 20. I think of like every one of my favorite artists. And I've seen maybe none of them live. Maybe two or three of my top 100 favorite artists have I ever seen them live. And that was only after I was a super fan. So this thing about saying that you have to play live, well, no, that's obviously not true. As for the story, um, I don't think we need a story. I think we need a sentence. We need a phrase, right? So you need to have a curious answer to the most common question because always and forever, for the rest of your life, people are going to ask you, what kind of music do you do? So you will always and forever have to answer that question. So you have to have a good description prepared in advance. If you just have one interesting phrase to describe your music, you can make a total stranger wonder about you. You can make people curious in one sentence. And in fact, I've got a little story of taking this to an extreme. Um, I've been kind of preaching this for years, the importance of having a good sentence about your music. And I was speaking at a big music conference in the U.S. It might have been South by Southwest. Um, A guy in the audience stood up, a musician in the audience stood up and said, Derek, Derek, he raised his hand. He said, I got to tell you, man, sorry to interrupt. Got to tell you something. I said, all right, you. (laughs) He said, my name's Dave. uh, And here, here was his story. He said, he said, I, I'm, and he started speaking to the whole room of musicians. He said, I got to tell you guys the difference that two words had in my career. He said, if you were to draw a trajectory of my career, there was a line going like this. And then we started using these two words to describe our music. And the line went up like that. And he said, here's how it happened. He said, so my band had, you know, we've always been playing like little tiny bars, but we've always felt that we were more of like a big festival kind of band. We're like a big crowd-pleasing band. He said, but whenever I'd try to reach these festival organizers or bookers, uh, they would never return my calls. They'd never listen to my music. We'd never get booked. We'd been trying for years. He said, so we're playing some little dive bar here in Tennessee, and um, somebody, a, a drunk guy in between songs, shouts. He goes, you know what you guys are? You're hillbilly flamenco. (laughs) And he said, we just laughed like, hillbilly flamenco? What the hell? And he said, the audience laughed too. And uh, he said, yeah, then we kept on playing our set. And he said, and at the end of our, our show that night, we said, and by the way, hats off to the hillbilly flamenco guy. That was awesome. He said, and on the way home from the show that night, uh, the band, we were all talking in the van about like, man, hillbilly flamenco. Wasn't that weird? That's funny, man. Hillbilly flamenco. And he said, then, you know, next time we had practice, next time we had a gig, we said, you know, we all remember that phrase, hillbilly flamenco. We should start using that. You know, I mean, it doesn't really describe everything we do, but the audience liked it, didn't they? We should use that. So he said, from that point on, every time we did a gig, we would tell the audience, if you want to know what kind of music this is, this is hillbilly flamenco. 
And he said, then we'd actually quiz the audience at the end of the night. We'd say, all right, everybody, you know, our name, this is Dave Fetter's band. And, and when your friends ask you what kind of music you heard last night, what are you going to tell them? And the audience would go, hillbilly flamenco. <laughs> and he's like, Derek, our career took a turn that week. He said, from that point on, our audiences at our shows increased. And he said, the final jackpot was one of these uh, festival booking agents that we'd been trying to reach for years. We called him up. It was about a month or so later. I said, hey, man, you know, we sent you our package. Did you get the chance to listen to it? And he said, um, I, I don't know. What kind of music is it? And he said, it's Hillbilly Flamenco. And he said, the booker went, all right, man, I got to hear this. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you my home address this time. I want Hillbilly Flamenco. I got to hear this. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he actually listened to it after all those years because we called it Hillbilly Flamenco and we started getting booked at the festivals. Amazing. So there's the importance of having a good phrase to describe your music. Story? Cool. Yeah, I, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I think story is like after people are interested in you as an artist, then you can concoct a story. I don't think it's like something that's going to get the world's attention on you. Brilliant. Okay, so that that reminds me of some conversations I've heard um, you and Ariel, Ariel Hyatt have mm -hmm. um, about the lift pitch, and it's so important. I, I've always kind of thought, I've always put that into the bio with all the other sort of crap that's in there, but but never in such a pithy way to think, yeah, that is such a good, such a good point to be able to get that really, that curiosity going by having something so sort of streamlined but so impactful and effective it's yeah and great don't advice. forget Thank you. it doesn't have to describe every note of music you're ever going to make like don't try to do that instead just think of you know the, all you have to do is make people curious and that's it um but also don't forget that in this noisy world you don't really want to be well-rounded anyway. Um, if you think of the, the world's attention as a big squishy pile of apathy, you need to be like sharp as a knife in order to cut through the apathy. So I think the, the sharper you can define yourself, the better. And this phrase that you come up with, it doesn't have to uh, contain everything you ever do. Just, just a few words that make people raise an eyebrow and say, all right, I got to check that out. That's it. Awesome. So, I mean, this, this is a podcast about marketing, but my opinions of marketing are that I actually hate a lot of marketing. Being, being a marketer, that's quite, you know, that's possibly unusual. I don't know. I meet a lot, a lot of marketers who sort of understand the way marketing should be. Um, and it, you know, not being about manipul manipulation and not right. being about trying to sell stuff people don't want. Um, so I kind of consider a very holistic view of marketing is that it is kind of everything you do from, you know, from the first thing you create to every interaction you have, um, and every representation of your kind of art and every representation of yourself. Um, and so I have this kind of this challenge between artists being, needing to be really confident in what they're doing and having a self-belief and obviously everyone's self-belief and confidence kind of ebbs and flows and I work with a lot of artists who are perfectly happy until the day before release and then go oh my god <laughs> is this a mistake and it's you know it happens with everyone from the most confident to the the shy retiring type but what I'm interested in understanding is any kind of 
any inkling in how an artist should develop a confidence, an egoless confidence, because I don't particularly like sort of overconfidence that's not justified by, you know, justified by the quality, I suppose, uh, and a self-belief. Um, this comes from one or two um, one or two comments around the idea that to get ahead to get ahead or do well in the music industry, there's one key thing, and it's don't be a dick. So that is the key to marketing success. But how should an artist develop egoless confidence and self belief, in your opinion? I think in dating and in many aspects of life, there's a little truism that confidence attracts but vulnerability endears. So I think you don't necessarily need confidence as much as you need vulnerability. Uh, so my advice is to develop in public. So let people see you improve, maybe even deliberately suck at first. Uh, <laughs> so here are some examples. Um, Benny Lewis is an Irish guy that uh, didn't know any foreign languages. He only spoke English, but he decided he wanted to do something about that. So he turned himself uh, into a language-learning uh, Superman. <laughs> and what he would do is he would pick a language that he didn't know at all, and he would make videos of himself literally like the day he started learning it, like 30 minutes after he's ever picked up the Indonesian language for the first time, he makes a video and puts it on YouTube of like him stammering through trying to say my name is and whatever. And then every week he would post a video of his progress this week. And you got to see Benny Lewis going from uh, this embarrassing, unable to speak uh, all the way through fluency six months later or whatever it was. So that's one example. Uh, Jennifer DeWalt is, uh, she decided that she wanted to learn computer programming. So what she did is she started building one website every single day and sharing them publicly. And her earliest ones were just little embarrassing pieces of trash or whatever, but it was sharing her learning process. Even though she had no previous experience, you got to watch her go from, you can now look at it, they're, they're archived, um, you can see what she was doing on day one versus day 180. It's amazing to see how much she improved. Uh, and the web is filled with examples of people learning to draw, for example, showing their early drawings and the kind of monthly progress until where they are now. So I think we should do the same in music. Um, don't think that you need to hide until you're perfect because, you know, you can obviously see the flaw in that plan. I think people think highly of you when they see how hard you worked and improved. And by doing this, you get to build an audience over the course of years if you develop in public. Um, tech entrepreneurs in the Silicon Valley circles have a common saying uh, that's something like, if you're not embarrassed by your first launch, then you waited too long. <laughs> so the idea is that you're never ready. It's never finished. Like, hopefully, hopefully, in two years, you'll be embarrassed of everything that you released now, because that means you're improving. Like, you should be embarrassed of your previous stuff, because hopefully you're going to keep getting so much better in the future that no matter how much you perfect it today, it's, it's going to be much, uh, 
you're going to be much better in a couple of years. So yeah, writers, computer programmers, athletes, painters, language learners, and academics, I think in all fields, people are embarrassed of their previous releases, right? So um, I think the only thing you can do is to just keep releasing and keep improving. So that way, um, I actually like that in English, I like that we talk about releasing a new song or releasing an album because there's a nice double meaning in there, isn't there? It's like mm-hmm. when you release something, you kind of need to disconnect from it a bit. Uh, it's already in your past. Like, you know, even if you're releasing this in April, well, you really wrote it last year and you finished it in February and now it's coming. It's already your past self. So just release it and move on and don't worry too much about how it is. Just kind of keep putting stuff out there. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you answered a lot of follow-on questions that I, that I had there. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll move on to question three, which kind of pulls us back to more kind of marketing, marketing strategy. And I know you mentioned in our email thread before this that that, that what how your answer will be around this. But I'm looking to just just kind of give artists i guess some ideas on on what marketing a great music marketing strategy looks like in 2020 oh god um <laughs> that's an easy one no <laughs> well okay the i've never been a very timely guy right like no matter what you i mean i've been doing this since whatever the the 80s you know, I've been speaking at conferences since the mid-90s. Um, and there have always been people saying like, you know, so here we are in 1995. You know, what's, what's the, the God, actually, I remember, I remember in, in uh, the early days, people going, you know, the internet, is this here to stay? Is this just some like fad? You know, how can, do you think a musician can actually market themselves on this internet? <laughs> no chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I was always trying to get the conversation away from technology to say like, oh, really, it's like saying, can an artist, artist market themselves on the, fa- on the fax machine? You know, I said, this is just, it's yet another medium to get words from here to there to get thoughts or documents from one place to the other. You can market yourself. Like, that's not what it's about. It's not about which buttons are you pressing or what thing are you buying or subscribing to. I think instead, um, what I've learned from doing this for decades now is that it's the timeless stuff that's actually the most important, right? So people always love a memorable melody, like forever, a hundred years ago and a hundred years from now, people will always love a really memorable melody, but you can't know what instrumentation or production style is going to be in fashion at any given time. So instead, you just focus on the craft of making great melodies. And that's probably the best use of your time when it comes to songwriting, is to forget everything else, forget timely, forget the current trends, and just make, like, learn the craft of making a great melody. But also, people always want an emotional connection. Again, 100 years ago, 100 years from now, the fans are always going to want an emotional connection with the artist, the performer. Um, 
But you can't know what technology is going to carry that communication. So instead, you just have to focus on the essence of how to connect with an audience. And that can come down to uh, reading books about great writing. And there's a um, Chip and Dan Heath, H-E-A-T-H, I believe had a book called uh, Made to Stick or Make It Stick or something like that, where they studied just tons of research about what makes certain messages stick in our head better than others. So I strongly recommend you get outside of the music and music-only circles and look to books like this that have focused on um, what it takes to make an emotional connection. Even studying what um, screenwriters do with with movies, where it's like, okay, how do we pull the heartstrings in this scene? You know, you can do that with your communication with your audience. Uh, and even the way that you're performing on stage. You're not just getting up there going, hey, everybody, well... Here's my song, but you find a way to make an emotional connection with your audience. And lastly, um, you never know what song is going to hit. And I think that's been one of the funniest things about being in the music business is over and over and over again, the song that ends up becoming a hit, if you read an interview with the artist or the writer that wrote it, um, they're almost always surprised by it. Like, man, I wrote a hundred songs. I wrote, like, most of my songs are better than that one. Why did that one become a hit? Well, it was just, it's, they were in the right place at the right time, and somebody who was making a movie wanted to put it in their movie and such and such, and now that song is a hit. But you can never know which song is going to be a hit. So the only smart thing to do is to just keep writing lots of songs and not try to think that any one song or any one thing you do is going to be a success. Um, write as many songs as you can, try as many things as you can. And uh, I think of the metaphor of like, you know, if getting lucky and having a successful music career is like the equivalent of having a handful of, uh, you know, Yahtzee dice and you, you roll them and they all turn up sixes at once, like five dice all at once, you roll a six. The only way that's gonna happen is if you roll a lot, <laughs> you have to throw those dice every minute of every day. And if you keep doing that, you're going to at some point roll five sixes at once. Uh, and I think it's the same with the stuff that we do with our music career that um, whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing or trying, you just, you just do lots of it, right? Where there's lots of songs or lots of reaching out to people or lots of, you know, marketing efforts or lots of learning and reading books um, about different crafts and techniques, including going back, go find some books that no other musicians are reading. You know, like there was a series of books in the mid 90s called Guerrilla Marketing, spelled G U E R R I L L A, you know, like Guerrilla Warfare. The author was, yeah, J. Conrad Levinson. They're totally out of style now. But that's why you should find them and read them, because most people aren't. And those had some brilliant ideas in there that I'll bet if you read them now, you'll find a way to apply that to 2020, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love that answer, that, that, yeah, that idea that it's, yeah, just a case of, as Seth Godin calls it, when are you going to show up and show up and show oh, up yeah. consistently? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I guess... 
again, another slight tangent here, but I want to talk about independent musicians because for as long as I've been doing music and and helping musicians, it's it, you know we all start off unless you're in some other some other world as independent musicians, and. Um, it's independent musicians and independent music that is the lifeblood of the music industry and, and the art and, and culture that's around it all comes from just people deciding to do music. But there is this kind of middle ground of artists who are not the the big pop pop jugular artists who you know take over the world, um, but they they sit in, for want of a better phrase, the middle class of musicians. But it's often difficult for artists to even know that that sort of sustainable independent career for musicians exists. So the question, I guess, is, first of all, do you believe in sustainable independent careers for musicians? I have a feeling I know which side of the fence <laughs> you're going to sit on there. No, but, um, I won't. Yeah, is it a realistic, <laughs> realistic career choice? Um, huh. Is it a realistic career choice? Um no, but <laughs> I mean, you know, neither is being a Hollywood actor, but you know, there's the thing that we pursue, which is not always the thing that you end up doing, right? Like I was pursuing the path of being a, uh, an artist, but also like a record producer in New York city. And I just built this little thing to sell my CD and I was not expecting that. But in hindsight, you could say, well, everything I did up to that point was kind of leading to that path, right? I mean, it was a weird little fluke of random luck and timing, but it led to something else. You know, and again, I, I read a lot, a lot, a lot of stories of uh, musicians and read their success stories and how things happen. And so many times you hear of somebody that was really pursuing something else. Like, you know, I'm sorry, going way back decades, but for some reason off the top of my head, because I was just listening to the Talking Heads, is <laughs> Talking Heads, they were just, uh, they never set out to be musicians. They were all in art school together. Um, and they just said, like, let's make a band just to kind of get away from drawing and painting. And they just <laughs> kind of made a fun little artsy band that was kind of just, you're just being art nerds. And they became, you know, huge top whatever 10 hits. Um, so you never know what path is going to hit. So it's being an independent musician was never like a, uh, a working class kind of decision where you could like decide to be a dentist or something. And you know that you're going to be able to earn an income no matter what. Um, but there are ways, of course, like if you, if you really want to go this path and if you really want to do music and nothing else, you're probably going to have to branch out and do every different aspect of it, right? So the last time I had a day job was 1992. I was working at Warner Chapel Music Publishing, and I quit my job in September 1992, and I haven't had a job since. And the way I was able to make a living as a full-time musician in New York City was to just say yes to everything, uh, you know, somebody wanted a, a jazz pianist to play at an art opening. I was like, yep, I'm a jazz pianist. What does it pay? <laughs> like, it pays 600 bucks. I'm like, yep, then I'm a jazz pianist. And I quickly went and, like, practiced my ass off for two weeks before the gig because I wasn't actually a jazz pianist. And somebody says they need a heavy metal guitar solo on a dance record. I'm like, yep, I'm a heavy metal gu guitarist. I can do that. And somebody needs a singer to sound like uh, whatever 
George Michael. I'm like, yep, that's me. <laughs> like, whatever it took, whatever would pay, that's how I was able to make a living as a musician, as a musician in New York City. Um, but, okay, there were two things hidden in your question there. Um, mm. For one is the advantage of being small. As, as an independent artist with only 100 or 200 fans or something, you can do things that Lady Gaga can't, you know? Um, and I don't know what those things are because I don't know what genre of music you might be or if you might be a, a cellist in Moldova listening to this or a, whatever, a <laughs> punk band in Brisbane. But um, you've got your own version of something that the famous people can't do and you can. You can make more of an emotional connection with your audience. You can send an email to your mailing list saying, how are you? Um, you know, are you affected by COVID-19? Are you okay? Can we help in any way? Like Lady Gaga can't do that. You know, you can. <laughs> um, there are examples of this in the entrepreneur world too, where it's like a lot of people look at Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos and they think like, how can we be... How can we be the next Amazon or the next Tesla or something like that? But I think when you're small, you've got this advantage that you can do things that Tesla and Amazon can't, you know? So um, again, if you don't mind, I'm going to, uh, when I said there were two things hidden there, I think there's also a timeless aspect of what you can do for your career that's just, <laughs> it's just timeless. Sorry to repeat myself. Um, <laughs> like staying in touch with people. Right? Like, this is just a key thing that if you were to do this thing, no matter what branch your career in music takes, it's going to be really important that you stay in touch with hundreds of people and you stay in the forefront of the minds of people that are uh, either music fans or anything in the music industry. Like, so many times, uh, a big breakthrough in my own music career came the day after I contacted somebody out of the blue, you know, I would just like call up some agent that I had met once through a friend of a friend and just check in. How's it going? Such and such. And then the next day, even though I hadn't talked to him for months, the next day he'd call me like, Hey man, you know, it's good talking to you yesterday. You know, what? I think I got a gig for you. You know, something came up and just, you know, you and I had just talked on the phone. So I had you in the forefront of my mind. Uh, could you do this kind of gig? It's so many things are going to happen in your career because of someone, you know, and if you're keeping in touch with the people you know, then no matter what surprise thing comes up, you're going to be well positioned to be at the forefront of their mind. So um, I highly recommend that you learn to stay in touch with hundreds of people. And I read a great book once called Gorilla PR. Nothing to do with the Gorilla marketing books, although I think he was kind of piggybacking on the success of the title. But uh, Michael Levine, who is a publicist in Los Angeles, wrote this book called Gorilla PR, where he had this great advice to separate everybody you know into an A-list, B-list, C-list, and D-list. He said, your A-list, these are your very important people. He said, contact them every three weeks. Your B-list, these are important people. Make sure that you contact them every two months. C-list, this is where you're going to keep most people. Make sure you find a reason to contact them every six months. He said, D-list, let's call those demoted people. Just contact them like once a year, just to make sure that you still have their correct info, just in case they end up 
you know, climbing up the list to another position. Um, and you just, you make these systems to keep in touch with hundreds of people because we don't know what the future holds, but these are ways to stack the odds in your favor. Cool. And I, I guess they touched on what, um, what, what differentiates, I suppose, um, those artists who are on the path to success, whatever that looks like for them, and the other artists that perhaps aren't for whatever reason. And I think the whole point of this podcast is to kind of try to unpick some of the areas of an independent musician's marketing or strategy or even business strategy or whatever you want to call it, which most artists probably don't want to call it either of those things, but let's say their career. Um, and try and find the busy work and shift it out of the way for the mm-hmm. productive, important stuff. Yeah. And like you say, relationships yeah. is so key to everything. Um, you know, it's people who end up making the decisions that, that impact where you are and what happens. So, and, you know, the little thing I said 15 minutes ago about uh, conferences in the 90s saying, should we be paying attention to this internet thing? Um I still think that we focus too much on the technology. I think that a lot of musicians wondering how they can get more successful think that there's going to be some like technology thing they can do, some button they can press, some gadget that they can get or some site that they can do something through. And that technology is somehow going to make them more famous. But I think it's just if you're focusing on the technology... It's, it's the red herring, you know, it's not about the technology. Ultimately, it's just about the actual people and never forget, never think of them as a crowd. Don't forget, these are just individuals that really do want to connect with you. Like hearing from you might be the coolest part of their day. Like if they subscribe to your mailing list and you say something, you're saying like, hey, Dave, saw you subscribe to my mailing list yesterday. Thanks. Like, where are you based? Can you tell me anything about yourself? Like you might've just made his day, you know, like, he heard your song on the net and liked it and subscribed to your list and now you're emailing him? OMFG. That's, you know, that's a, that's the coolest thing that happened tonight. So don't forget about, it's just, it's all human stuff. It's not technology. Absolutely. So with that in mind, if we move on to the last question, you, you've, I think you've already offered a lot by way of kind of tactics, if you like. Um, but I really want to sort of put something together that may well become a book of um, a sort of recipe book, if you like, for music marketing sort of tactics for independent musicians. Um, And I presume some people will focus on, they'll kind of go, if you do this thing with Instagram stories, you click this button and press this and do this. and, and, And that's cool right now and it works. And obviously in three years when Instagram doesn't exist anymore or whatever, you know, that's useless. But I, I guess if you can discuss one marketing tactic in detail, so a kind of tactical deep dive, if you like, that independent artists could use to advance their career today. So get off this podcast and go and do this thing and it will help you. Okay. Um, what I'm going to share is not the today tactic, like you said, Instagram stories or something, but the how to find today's tactic so that even if you're listening to this in three years, here's how you find today's winning tactic. You have to use the tricks that work on you. So 
turn off your musician side for a minute and just go to your phone or your browser, whatever, and just be a music fan. Just slump in your couch (laughs) and just be in the mood to be turned on to something new. And just go look for some new music. Just go, "Uh, I'm in the mood to hear something new. And just go see what a normal person would do to find new music. Um, Whether that means searching the web for a phrase or searching something in Spotify or clicking whatever it may be. If you do this, you're going to come across, let's say, for example, a media outlet that's going to be writing about new musicians or somebody that's put together one of these listicles of like top 10 artists you must hear now. You're going to read about so many artists that you've never heard of before or just see a bunch of photos and names of artists you've never heard before. And out of all of those, only one or two is going to really catch your attention. So then you have to ask yourself, why? Like, what was it that made me interested in this artist and made me click to hear their music instead of the others? And again, I don't know who or where you are, what genre you do, and I don't have the answer. Um, But you will, in your genre, if you're acting like a music fan, notice what tricks worked on you. Uh, And get specific, you know, ask yourself why like a a certain photo or a description caught your attention. Like what exactly was it that intrigued you? And then analyze that and use that. Because then you can adapt those techniques and use them when promoting your own music. Um, Yeah, and this is going to change weekly or monthly. Sorry, if I'm being intentionally ambiguous right now, it's, it's like you and I are speaking in... April 2020, like everything's changing right now. Like usually things change at a nice, slow, gradual pace. You know, last month and this month, everything is changing so fast. We don't even know if there are going to be cinemas anymore next year. Like this might be like a quaint time where people look back and like, hey, you used to all get into a same place to go watch a movie with strangers in the room. Uh, You know, um, everything's changing. Sorry, go ahead. So true. It do, no, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel ambiguous to me. It feels more like yeah, trying to sort of um, trying to present something that is again, as we've talked about quite a lot through through this conversation, something that's timeless and will always be the case. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a music lover, which probably you are, if you're doing music, then try to look at how you yeah, how you discover things and, and like you say put that create your own tactics out of your own way of discovering and what what turned you on to actually click that thing why did you even do that and then what was yeah. it about it that made you love it and add it to your playlist i think of these as tools for an unknowable future <laughs> like hey you're heading <laughs> off for two weeks of camping into this unknown forest here's what you should bring with you you know so we don't know what your future has in store and we don't know what's you know going to be hot next week or next month let's say um so instead you need to think about what can your approach always be instead of somebody telling you go do instagram stories i mean usually by the time they've told you this it's too late you know somebody else has pioneered that and you'll just be the the also ran but if you don't mind me kind of ending on a an important message um You kind of said it at the very beginning, and I love that you said this, is that business is creative. Like this, all marketing 
is just to me like the furthest extension of your art. It's it's the the it's the last extension of your music, right? So I, I sorry, I'm, I'm waving my hands in the air, thinking visually like this, but I'm I'm holding up my fingers like I'm holding a little seed or an acorn, right? You had an idea for a song at some point, just a little snippet of a melody or a phrase or a riff or a groove or something like that. You took that little seed of a song idea and you you fleshed it out. You you added some parts to the arrangement. You decided, you made this creative decision what kind of instrumentation you wanted. Is this going to be violins or is this going to be you know, trash cans? Um, and then even while you were recording it, you made these creative decisions on the production values. Is this going to sound like some live musicians in a room with a nice kind of earthy, echoey kind of sound? Or are you going to go for like this really kind of distorted, electronic, twisted, very deliberately uh, artificial sound? That was a creative decision you made while recording. And then you put it out to the world and you make these creative decisions with your photos and you made a creative decision on what you're going to call yourself. You're going to call yourself Mark Smith or you're going to call yourself the uh, crunchy bastard. You know, you, you, th- these are all creative artistic decisions. But then what a lot of musicians do is when it comes to that final step of marketing, they turn off their creativity and they say, well, I don't know, just tell me what I should do. <laughs> and I go like, no, 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 no. Like, don't, this is not, don't, do not turn off your creativity. The marketing is an extension of your art. It's just like those decisions you made about which instruments to use or how much distortion to put into the recording or the photos. This is just yet another creative decision. This is purely artistic. And you should be as creative on the business side as you were in every other step of the way. That is a wonderful way to finish, Derek. I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with you. That's the thing. I'm, that's on, so... I'm preaching now. I'm, I, I care about I this stuff it. so much. So thank you for letting me I rant. Lo- I love that. Yeah, that's so expansive and, and taking it from, you know, the riff, the chord, the, the melody, the whatever to the whole world. And, and we've kind of gone in a circle and come back to that for me is what the narrative and story is. If you, if you, if you end with this whole world around what you're doing, that's where you want it to be. You know, there's, there are a lot of artists who are really good at it, um, but not enough. So that's why we're trying to help them, help them with this. So thank you so much for being here, Derek, and being the first, um, the first episode of the Indie Music Marketing Podcast. Thank you. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really, uh, really, uh, I have a lot of gratitude for you doing this. Uh, so thank <laughs> well, you. You too. You're, uh, you're helping more musicians uh, than I am right now. I really admire what you're doing and I'm happy to be here. So anybody, any musicians, especially if you are listening to this, please send me your music. <laughs> I answer emails all day long and I really like listening to music in the background uh, and I love being turned on to new music. So go to sivers.org, S-I-V-E-R-S dot O-R-G. And, and I can vouch for that being true because you replied to my emails. Of course. And that's why we're doing this. This is what I do. And so email me and send me your music. Let me listen. And your book. You have a book. Oh, yeah. Any old day now. It's called Your Music and People. The subtitle is Creative and Considerate Fame. Cool. Well, this was the first episode of the Indie Music Marketing Podcast and my first ever podcast recording. So I hope it was okay for you. And I look forward to recording many more. 
Thank you so much to Derek for sharing his thoughts and stories around marketing for independent musicians. I really enjoyed that conversation, so I hope you did too. And if you want to find out more about indie music marketing, go to indiemusicmarketing.co.uk, where we also have a community for independent artists called Amplifier that is free to join and aims to offer a non-judgmental, safe place for artists to ask any questions you might have around music marketing, share your music for peer feedback, and just hang out in a place that's free from the distractions of social media. However, if you'd rather, you can sometimes find me on Instagram at Indie Music Marketing, and you can subscribe to this podcast at indiemusicmarketing.co.uk and get all the show notes for this and future episodes. And finally, if you'd like to dig deeper into the world of Derek Sivers, check out sivers.org, that's S-I-V-E-R-S.org, where you can find all of his podcasts, his articles, his email newsletter, his books, and a bunch of other interesting and inspiring stuff. Thank me later. And thank you so much for listening. If you have any feedback, please feel free to get in touch on Instagram or email me at rich at indiemusicmarketing.co.uk and I'll see you next episode.